Joined on the line by Bob Chamberlain. Mr. Chamberlain is the chair of the First Nations Wild Salmon Alliance. Bob, good morning and welcome back, sir. Oh, good morning, Sterling. Hope you're doing well this morning. Doing very well. Thank you, Bob. Let me uh, uh, share the first sentence of the latest press release from the Wild Salmon Alliance uh, under the heading, New Laces for Old Shoes. Quote, the First Nation Wild Salmon Alliance has growing concern that the current DFO fish farm transition planning process is horribly flawed. Close quote. Well, you are the guy with all the details. Uh, You basically you're saying that they seem to be drifting away from the original commitment to remove open pen fish farms from BC waters by 2025. That was a very firm commitment that you and I have talked about a few times and that everyone pretty clearly understands. So where's the foot dragging going on, Bob, please? Well, the foot dragging begins with the documents that are presented so far in the roundtables with First Nations. And of course, the the PowerPoint presentation and the guiding questions are very much leading towards a predetermined outcome. And this is not simply just my opinion, though I have participated in a roundtable, but from other chiefs that have participated. And we can see that the for whatever reason, the DFO is now starting to talk about enhanced regulation and ensuring there's expansion of the industry. And to me, it makes absolutely no sense that the prime minister of this country can give clear direction to the to a minister of a department and then when the department takes it on in actions, it, it reshapes uh, the initial direction. Mm-hmm. And now you, have ta- you and I have talked about this, some kind of disconnect between the Department of Fisheries and Oceans, on, on the Pacific region at least, and the boss and the headquarters in Ottawa. That's a rather large geographical distance, and that seems to be some strange justification for a dilution of the mission, because the minister's letter from the prime minister says, we're going to get rid of those open pen salmon farms by 2025, full stop. So the implementation of said directive is in the hands of the local DFO people, and those are the ones, Bob, that you and I have talked about before seem to be not kind of catching on to what the original order meant. No, that is exactly my opinion. And it's so troubling to see a bureaucracy making decisions and taking actions that are clearly not supportive of that direction from the prime minister to the minister. And this was verified and seen in the court ruling of the judicial review of the Discovery Islands decision, where it was exposed that Um, a document under the signature of the deputy minister in Ottawa did not provide uh, uh, a footing for the the minister to say no. It only provided footing for the minister to say yes. And to me, that shows a department that's completely lost its way. Uh, And this, you know, for me, confirms what Justice Cohen spoke of, of the DFO being in a conflict of interest, where they're to promote the fish farm industry And what I'm witnessing is that they're losing the script and moving further and further away from their primary responsibility, which is to the environment, and in this case, wild salmon. Right, and of course, the local response would have something to do, Bob, I'm sure, with, well, look, you know, uh, it's all very well and fine for Ottawa to dictate policy. They don't have to deal with whoever's involved in the implementation of said policy face-to-face on a daily basis. We do, and it's really different here, and that's why we're foot-dragging. Exactly. And we, you know, for last week when we were like, I I met with the minister, as did a number of other First Nations and other interested parties. And we heard a consistent message 
about progressively minimizing the fish farm wild salmon interaction, incentivize new technologies, and the laughable one was science-based decision-making, which, of course, is supposed to be in play today, but it's some sort of, those are the new laces, is what I've been saying. And also a new science metrics. And, of course, these things all will take time. And in that time, it will be status quo. The threats and impacts to wild salmon will continue. Right. And, of course, the minister and DFO spoke of semi-enclosed fish farms in the ocean. And we examined that quite thoroughly at our engagement on the Broughton Fish Farm LOU and outright rejected it because it didn't uh, safeguard the environment from disease and pathogens. And, of course, we are mindful of the, the pilot one that occurred in the Neutronal Territory this past year, which was an utter failure. And yet the minister still continues to speak of this as some sort of a, a new enhanced way to protect wild salmon, and it's just a fallacy. Yeah, let me see if I understand this correctly, because if the disconnect is between the decision makers and the, 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 the people with the braid on their uniforms in Ottawa, and the implementation of all of that is local, between Ottawa and the local crew is the minister in this case, because Joyce Murray is a Vancouver MP. So that would bring her her and her focus right in her own backyard. So am I understanding you correctly? You said you've met recently with the minister and you're now getting some, to use a President Biden word, malarkey about uh, 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 science and uh, sort of wishy-washy, we're not going to do the 2025 removal of fish farms anymore. Is that from the minister herself, Bob, or her people? Well, she's definitely speaking what the department is putting in front of her, but at the same time talks of her primary responsibility of looking after wild salmon. And I'm a bit confused as to how um, a minister can make those statements and not recognizing the fact that the DFO has provided science already, which is a complete joke, um, as it came out of the Canadian Science Advisory Secretariat, where Dr. Andrew Bateman of the Pacific Salmon Foundation. They're certainly not a group of radicals and malcontents, but was very clear in the FOPO, the Standing Fisheries and Oceans Committee, in the spring of 2020 about the lack of objectivity, the tailoring of science outcomes to support industry. And of course, you know, one of the objectives of this transition planning is to rebuild trust in the DFO. Yeah. Well, you only need to rebuild trust once you've burned it to the ground. And that's certainly the case with DFO and uh, First Nations across this province. Yeah, and you're talking now, and and uh, I assume that when you met recently with the minister, you proposed a meeting because the press release, and I'm looking at it again, this is the new laces on old shoes uh, pit that I were talking about earlier. You're, you you mentioned in your press release that you you want the minister to meet with uh, First Nations Wild Salmon Alliance chiefs, not just you, the chair, but a, a group, a delegation. Is that likely? Well, I did have a phone call from one of her staff members in Ottawa that was, because uh, I, I passed along a message that the Union of BC Indian Chiefs executive wanted to, to meet with the minister on this topic. Yeah. And they want to meet to, re, you know, to make sure that the minister is clear on the long history of opposition of fish farms from First Nations via the resolutions that the Union of BC Indian Chiefs specifically, but also from the First Nations Summit at BCAFN. And the the call was to see if perhaps, uh, you know, they could establish that meeting with, you know, Grand Chief Stuart Phillip and and Cookby Judy Wilson and Chief Don Tom of the executive, but include First Nation leadership as well. Right. 
to me, it, it starts to, you know, I start to have questions about what's the efficacy of these resolutions because I brought it up with her staff and they're like, well, whatever happens during this consultation period is what's going to uh, inform the decision. And yet we've had resolutions from First Nations across this province through the organizations as far back as, you know, way, we're, we're talking decades worth. Yeah. But specifically support for Finn Donnelly's private member bill of 2016 to transition to land-based closed containment. And certainly uh, the, the recent commitment, and this was verified through the First Nations Summit uh, just this week in the UBCIC AGA, where by consensus, the chiefs in the assembly called for the real transition of fish farms from the oceans to land-based closed containment. Interesting stuff. So uh, are you hopeful that uh, something's going to happen? For example, by the end of the calendar year, it'd be nice to at least have a face-to-face done uh, in 2022. Well, given the tight timelines that we're facing, I would hope that it happens uh, before the end of this month. Oh, okay. Uh, of such a critical time. And, you know, the benefit of removing fish farms from out-migration, um, I, I have to speak about the Hada River in the Broughton Archipelago, where two years ago we had a return of just 200 pink salmon to that river. And if that's not close to extinction, what is? Yeah. But I can say after removing uh, Glacier Falls a fish farm as well as the Birdwood Group fish farm, we had a return this year two years later, because pinks are on a two-year cycle, of over 11,000. So we Ah. went from 200 to 11,000. And this reflects a similar return rate that occurred when there was a moving of fish farm production in the Broughton back in the 2000s. So for us, it's very clear. You remove the fish farms from key migration routes. And for the Fraser, we're talking about the entire east coast of Vancouver Island. And that is what we need to focus on if we want to see uh, a clearer opportunity for fish to return. And it's simply not about Aboriginal rights. It's about culture and tradition, and not just First Nations, but for every British Columbian that fishes with their son or their father or an uncle, uh, to be able to enjoy that activity and to build unity in a family. Well, let's hope that meeting uh, gets organized. And when it does, Bob, we'll get you back on the radio to tell us uh, what happened. And hopefully there's some content to discuss. So good luck. Yeah. Well, I certainly hope that that meeting with the minister comes very soon, and I would welcome the opportunity to report out on on the outcome should it happen. Well, we'll look forward to that occasion, Bob, and hopefully again before the end of the calendar year. Thanks for joining us again this morning. Okay, thank you, Sterling. Have a great day. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.